You're listening to the Theology Mom podcast. And now, here's Theology Mom, Krista Bontrager. Good evening, everyone. I hope you are settling into the new year. I want to thank you for joining me for tonight's teaching. And uh, if you're new to the channel, you might not know this, but one of the topics that I'm interested in discussing in addition to things related to race, justice, and culture, is the supernatural, uh, looking at issues related to miracles, healings, and the spirit realm, always from a historically Christian standpoint. And I like to call myself a charismatic with seatbelts. <laughs> so uh, we're going to unpack a little, a little bit more about that and the framework behind that tonight as we address the question, is Bethel promoting new age ideas. And I hope to do this in a very careful and respectful way. Um, I consider people who attend Bethel Church to be brothers and sisters in Christ. I have no desire to engage in slandering them um, or their leadership. Now, I am of the opinion that uh, Bethel Church has some troubling beliefs and practices that I think can lead people into some kind of difficult places and and have injured some people. But I'm also sympathetic to some aspects of what they say. Uh, Some of their biblical observations, I think, can be a helpful corrective uh, to some aspects of Protestant evangelicalism, trying to nuance that. And we will unpack some of those issues tonight. Um, I also want to invite you to add your voice. You can engage with me in the chat box on YouTube and ask clarifying questions there. Now, I do want to let you know that this is a pre-recorded conversation. We are not live tonight, but I will be in the chat box during the premiere and will respond to comments and questions that seem relevant there. While you're watching, be sure to give this video a thumbs up. Hit that share button. Um, make sure that you're subscribed because sometimes YouTube likes to uh, take the initiative to make up your mind for you and unsubscribe you. So make sure that you are subscribed, even if you've subscribed in the past and hit that notifications bell. So you'll know any of your time I uh, upload a video or go live. Now, if you're new to my channel, I always like to start by saying that this channel is dedicated to proclaiming the historic Christian faith as it was taught and preserved by the ancient church, and to explore how we can respond to what's happening in the culture through the lens of the Christian worldview. This is not the channel where we do magic tricks with the Bible to make it fit what our culture is telling us is right. We look to the scriptures first to shape our thoughts, feelings, and opinions, and we use the history of the early church as sort of a check or a guardrail to keep us from wandering from the true faith. Now, with all of that said, let's get into this. I want to introduce you to a sister in the Lord. Her name is Melissa Doherty, and she is a former New Ager and is now an, a Christian apologist. I want to say thank you to our mutual friend, Monique, for helping us get connected. You can find her on YouTube and Twitter. I'm super excited to have a conversation with her. Welcome, Melissa. Hi, thanks for having me, Krista. It's an honor to be here. Now, I know you were involved in the New Age, um, and that is a very diverse movement, a lot of different streams. Mm -hmm. Um, Hopefully, we can have you on an episode of All the Things at some point and hear more about your testimony. But maybe you can just tell us a little bit about 
the new thought stream of the new age and some of the key ideas surrounding that, because that's going to pertain to what we're going to unpack tonight. Uh, New age, new thought are used interchangeably uh, because at the core, it teaches the same thing that you are divine. There's an inner divinity within you and it could be seen through tarot cards, psychics, mediums, uh, channeling spirits. That's more new age. New thought is more associated with a man named Phineas Quimby coming out of the 1800s in the age of enlightenment. If you didn't notice, the 1800s was just all the rage for new religion and new spirituality. Yeah, Mormonism, Seventh-day Adventists, you had Jehovah's Witnesses, the new thought, all this stuff just coming out. And uh, new thought is just that, is that it's the, that's the realm that I was really caught up in, is the power of your mind. And it was uh, associated with, your thoughts are connected to your, your body in the sense that where your mind goes, your body follows. So it was really big about uh, healing like Christian science, Mary Baker Eddy uh, would be considered new thought very much. So she was uh, a student of Phineas Quimby himself Hmm. and um, things like that. It was very metaphysical. Your thoughts become things, your words have power. So what you say will manifest into your reality. So be careful what you say and think. And uh, what makes new thought specifically, and the new age does this too, many new age teachers do this. What makes it so dangerous uh, for somebody like me is that they would quote scripture all the time uh, to back up these beliefs. They would talk about Jesus and how he was the example for us all, that he came to teach us what we could be, what we could do, what we could achieve. We will do greater things than even he did. And these are things that you even see in the word of faith, prosperity, movement that we see within Christianity today. So that's just kind of a small breakdown of what we see, what the new age and new thought is. From what I understand, it's kind of this idea of when I make a declaration, it can kind of manifest eventually in the physical world. And that there's this idea of um, maybe a a, a book that people have heard of is like The Secret uh, that was big maybe like 15 years ago, but it's really just kind of warmed over mid 1800s kind of new thought ideas, but, but for the modern context. And so you're, you're making vision boards and you're trying to speak things into existence and, and that it manifests a new life and these kinds of things. What is, am I on the right track there? Yes, absolutely. And, and this is exactly how I got caught up into it and thought it was Christian. And a, a lot of these teachers, there's a lot of the spiritual teachers in the new age and new thought they'll all say that it's an ancient teaching. They'll all say that it goes back thousands and thousands of years and it's weaved throughout humanity within different religions. But a lot of the progressive Christian teachings are also weaved in to new age. Uh, Universalism is one of them that everybody eventually goes to heaven. There's not just one way to salvation. There's many ways. Your truth is your truth. Uh, Things like that. Those are all intertwined within the new age concept. Now, as we kind of talk tonight about the idea of new thought being present at um, Bethel church in particular, but yes, in both, what, both new age and new thought. Yes. Okay. And so it's kind of in the, what I like to call the neo charismatic stream of Protestantism. You know, it's it, churches that are in the stream of Bethel maybe um, Kansas City International House of Prayer and and all mm-hmm. of those associated churches, speakers, and 
and conferences. We should probably take a couple minutes before we get into all of that to lay some groundworks about our personal beliefs about the supernatural. I'm glad mm-hmm. you mentioned Mike Mike Winger. I haven't had the opportunity to meet him yet, but I know that he is is not a cessationist. Um, you and I are not cessationists. We're not here to make fun of people who believe in miracles and the supernatural. There are some who might watch this. I hope that people will share the content with their Bethel friends that we're, we're coming at this from a, a position of, Hey, we believe, you know, miracles are real. The supernatural is real. We're not here to slander anybody. Um, and they might have concerns about us being overly mm-hmm. legalistic, maybe reacting from a place of fear. So let's address some of those concerns a bit. Um, yeah. You are, you are not a cessationist and, and neither am I. No, I'm not. And I'm glad that you started it with that, Krista, because uh, I would like to kind of springboard off of that as well, is that um, when I do videos, uh, my goal is to reach the person at Bethel. I don't want an echo chamber of people bashing. I I always say I'm not a guns blazing heresy hunter. I, I I don't like that. I think that there's a better way to talk to somebody that maybe needs to hear it. And that's really my primary audience is, Hey, maybe there's something off here. And uh, yes, as you said, I am not a cessationist. And to be clear, the definition of cessationism, uh, some people think that it just means that you don't believe in any gifts at all whatsoever. Uh, I'm more of a continuationist. I believe that God does do miracles. He heals. Uh, I wouldn't say that I think that it's you know, necessarily, you know, something that pops up every day, like the norm, right. but no, I, I don't, uh, I, I, I do believe that God does do that. And I wouldn't quite say I'm charismatic. I think Mike Winger would associate with, with, uh, uh, being charismatic and you, you called it, what did you call it? Neo, Neo, uh, Neo charismatic. Yeah. Yeah. I would call it hyper charismatic. Okay. All so, right. Yeah. So it's funny that we both have that, kind of definition to it. I, I think of charismatic. As I'm just, uh, like, I'm calling charismatics like assembly of God, church of God yes. in Christ. You know, m- that's kind of what I call more of the traditional Pentecostal charismatic to me. Neo, what I call Neo charismatic is more of the Bethel international house of prayer, Heidi Baker, Todd White, yes. you know, that, that stream. Exactly. And yeah. I, I would, uh, in my mind, I would say hyper charismatic. That's okay. interesting. Uh, because you have charismatics that are amazing. Like they're, they're very sound, very biblical. Stephen Bancar is another one of my friends. He's charismatic. Dr. And Michael he's very Brown. Open about him being charismatic. Yeah. And Dr. Michael he, Brown, Craig Keener. These are all people that are more traditional charismatics. Yeah. Yeah. And then you have this other wing within it. What I would consider Bethel. I yeah. would consider Bethel hyper charismatic. Well, and I think that what we're trying to do here is is invite um, a conversation about um, testing. You know, and that is a very biblical idea from First John uh, chapter four, verses one to three. It talks about testing the spirits, and so mm-hmm. we're just raising the question of let's let's have a conversation about what spirits are behind some of these things. And, you know, on my side of the street, um, you know, I've personally seen many miracles. I want to assure any person that's in the neo-charismatic stream that I I am not a cessationist. I I experienced a major healing in my life six years ago. Um, I was had been sick for 30 years with a 
a health problem and, and was completely healed from that. So yes, I believe miracles are real. I've seen other miracles. I'm not afraid to talk about the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, and I, I think that all of those are, are very important things. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we want to just, we're trying to balance, let's not despise the works of the Holy Spirit, but also how do we engage in testing of the mm-hmm. spirits? So that's kind of the the space that Melissa and I are coming from. Mm-hmm. Now, Melissa, I'm curious, um, you've been so helpful to me. I've been checking out some of your content in um, raising my awareness about something that's really concerned me for a while about the neo-charismatic stream of Protestantism. And I didn't have words for it. I didn't know what it was. <laughs> and you've, you've really helped me. Um, and so maybe we can start to talk through how you see new age and new thought practices, words, beliefs um, present in Bethel Church and, and that stream. When I first started learning about Bethel in general and what was going on there, I thought, no, no way. People are just kind of being, you know, hard on them, harsh on them. And I, I know that there's a lot of like what some would consider discernment ministries that really come down hard. I mean, they, they don't hold back. They throw out punches. And I think what people are used to is they hear that and they just kind of shut down. Well, when I started really looking into this and researching this, um, I continually became more and more shocked about what I discovered and found. And yes, there is indeed very much, very much. So I'm not even going to say that there's, they're dabbling in the new age. I'm going to go out there and say that they're just welcoming it into the church. They are actively involved in what the new age would call astral projection uh, projection. They would call it going to the glory realms, uh, channeling, which they would call uh, clear audience, you know, like speaking to other spirits, even tarot cards. They had a, a controversy a while ago where they were welcoming tarot cards. They would say, oh, we're doing it through the Holy Spirit. But uh, somebody like Doreen Virtue, my, my good friend, she would easily cry foul on that because she's like, I just, I did that. You know, I spoke to angels through tarot cards and I was openly engaging in new age. There's a book to read that would really lay out the issues. It would be physics of heaven. Yeah. And I've I've read that book. Um, After I saw your video, I went and bought it and read it. So hopefully we can get into some of that together because I think that it, it, it raises a lot of um, interesting issues for me. Um, from the scientific realm. You're, you're absolutely right, Krista. I mean, the metaphysical part of it, this is an incredibly new thought that everything has a vibration to it and how you're reacting is reacting to the vibrations around you. And that's how you manifest reality and all this stuff. And they are wanting this because it has a lot to do with their eschatology, which is their end times kingdom now dominion theology. They want heaven to literally come to earth. And the only way to do that is through signs, wonders, and miracles. And you, you have to have that. And then Jesus will come back. And so let's, something let, they, yeah, let's that? break that down a little bit, because yeah. I think that one of the things that I, I mentioned earlier, I said, I think that there's some aspects of Bethel church that I think actually offer a helpful corrective for cessationists. And, and I want to highlight one of those things, and then we can kind of differentiate that from, from the new thought angle of Bethel church. Um, 
is I actually think, and I would love to hear your, your opinion on this is that the idea of, of praying for the sick, casting out demons, Mm -hmm. and in, in some cases, even raising the dead, because if you go to Asia and Africa, it is not uncommon to, to meet a Christian who knows somebody who's been raised from the dead. I mean, that is, that is not a weird thing. Um, and my friend Monique, um, knows people that have experienced this. So mm-hmm. my husband and I had someone in our home once who he had a death certificate, his death certificate in his wallet, um, that he had been pronounced dead and came back to life. So, I mean, resurrecting from the dead is a thing, but what it was in scripture is that it was used as a means of advancing the kingdom of God. It says in Luke nine and Luke 10, that God, that Jesus kind of deputizes his followers, his disciples, first the 12, then the 72, to go out and heal the sick, cleanse the leper, cast out demons and raise the dead and preach the gospel. That's what it was to bring the kingdom near. And we see that continued in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter eight, with Philip, the evangelist, he goes to Samaria and he does all those same things. And Philip is not part of the twelve. And this was the pattern of the early church of how they would go out and and bring the gospel. So mm-hmm. my thought has been that in that sense, somebody like, um, uh, who's that guy? Who's the German guy that just died? Bob, uh, Reinhard Bonnke um, is closer to the methodology of the apostles than Billy Graham. Because Billy Graham would would just preach the gospel with without the demonstration of of showing that Christ has conquered these things. But when you look at somebody like Reinhard Bonnke or the guy that that um, David, what's his name, that that followed him up, that took over his ministry, um, they're using the miracles to show that Christ has power over sickness, over mm-hmm. blindness, over deafness. And that he still does these things today. So to me, that's an evangelism strategy. But that's so different than what's happening at Bethel. And so I'm, I've wrestled with like, how do I understand what I think is probably a biblical precedent in scripture that casting out demons is something we should be doing versus what you're identifying as new thought influence? Well, yeah, I think it it goes down to the balance. Okay. Because this is where I would see it is that we don't see today across the world what's going on in the book of Acts because in what, and I think that's frustrating them. So if like the wake up olive thing from a few years ago, they, they believe that you should be healed 100% of the time. Uh, you should be able to raise the dead like it was normal. Right. And that's the weird thing is that that's really what makes it a miracle is that it was supposed to kind of be in the sense to bring the kingdom. Yes. But there's an aspect of it that uh, the the sovereignty of God is lost on them. Mm. So if you don't have your healing, then we're doing what's right, but then it's on you. And that's really what it is. So I, I think there's a frustration within the leadership at Bethel, because 100% of the time 
you, and this goes beyond the leg lengthening thing. This goes be way beyond, you know, the little things that you see, the, the small healings they're talking about you know, limbs growing back about, right. you know, I'm talking about the, this major stuff that you don't see. And so uh, glitter falling from the ceiling or feathers appearing or things like that, they would consider miracles, but it's nowhere like what we would see that Jesus did. So if, if they're, in other words, if they're supposed to be doing greater things than even Jesus did, if they're interpreting that that way, mm-hmm. um, then why aren't they? The answers must be because, oh, these people in the new age got something figured out because they're getting results that are maybe even more than what we're getting. So we must go redeem what's over there uh, and bring it back into the church. And that's their mindset behind it. I'm glad that you brought that up because um, in the book, The Physics of Heaven, that's exactly what they're saying. I mean, you're mm-hmm. not exaggerating. That's almost yeah, near, in Bill near, Johnson's book too. Near uh, quotes. Of- he literally has the book, Heaven and When Heaven Bates Earth. That's what the book is about, is how to bring heaven to earth. And I think and, your yeah. your earlier point about an over-realized um, eschatology. eschatology of is very important because what I see in scripture with the miracles of the of the early church and following in the pattern of Paul and Philip, the evangelist and others, and, and we see Ananias pray for Paul's blindness and get healing. And he wasn't part of the 12. So there's something happening there that 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 I think Bethel is right about in principle, that yes, Jesus has deputized us to walk in power and authority over certain things. But where it goes like haywire for me is when it's this kind of realized eschatology now that this should be the normative. Raising the dead should be normative. Healing the sick should be normative Mm -hmm. and that they are literally trying to bring heaven to earth. That's Mm -hmm. where you start veering off into some really dangerous places Mm -hmm. theologically. And I think you're right that now what they're doing is they're looking at the new age and saying, well, here's something, maybe we can redeem this, kind of bring it in to the church under the Jesus umbrella and attribute it to the power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Um, And they're pretty unapologetic about it in the physics of heaven. It's saying straight out, we are getting this from new age people. So, for for me it's like how do you redeem something that never belonged to you how do you redeem a golden calf how do you redeem you know a breaking of the law yeah how do you redeem witchcraft Mm. you can't do that there is no biblical precedent or there is no holy spirit version of channeling a spirit there is no holy spirit version of chakras Mm -hmm. of inner divinity and that's kind of what it is, is that they think that, oh, because there it exists, um, it must have been hijacked from God. And this does seem more powerful. This does seem to have uh, results. It yields results. And I always think that, okay, if Satan's going to give you something and he's going to try to deceive you with it, he's going to make it look like anything, everything you've ever wanted. And God, at least when I read the Bible and I, I see in scripture, there's a sovereignty there and there's a difference between God's providence and his sovereignty. God, I mean, I think people have a really hard time maybe believing the fact that maybe God doesn't will healing every single time. Mm -hmm. And this isn't something that 
this is a this is an experienced human fact that you can pray for years and years and years for a physical healing and never get it. Well, one of my best friends on the world, she in the world, she has this chronic illness and she's an ex new ager too. And she's been told basically on so many levels that uh, you can receive your healing if you believe it, you know, you, if you, if you have enough faith, you can, you can receive this healing and without really realizing that if she didn't have this, this illness, there would be certain things that have transpired in the lives of others, as far as their salvation goes, that never would have happened. And that is in God's sovereignty. So I think that that's part of it. But to say that there's a, a, a biblical godly version or a Holy Spirit version, so to speak, of, of new age practices, I think is is very deceptive. It's a, it's a very deceptive way to think about. You can't take tarot cards and make the, a biblical version of them. You, you can't take necromancy, uh, speaking to the dead. There is no Holy Spirit version of that. Does that make sense? Yeah, because I do think that there's some case it could be made because we do have some biblical precedent. And I'm trying to look in my notes here for you know some scriptures that talk about fake miracles um, that, uh, in, I think it's in second Corinthians or second Thessalonians chapter two and in the book of revelation and in Matthew 24, it talks about demonically empowered miracles. And we see this in the, in Pharaoh's court that Mm -hmm. his magicians could simulate some of the miracles that Moses did Mm -hmm. and some of the plagues. Um, but then there came a point where they could no longer replicate the, the the signs and wonders. So that, to me, gives me some evidence that there is something to this argument that yeah. that the whole that the demonic realm can replicate at least the appearance of some supernatural things. Mm-hmm. Um, but the question is 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 everything? you know, a counterfeit. And I'm, I'm not as convinced of that. Like I'm not as convinced that um, this idea of, of dolphin vibrations or, (laughs) or auras or vibrations around people or words, I'm not as convinced that that has a Holy Spirit alternative um yeah I, they, they would argue with that they would oh say i know that, yeah. <laughs> i've been in those conversations yeah yeah and it's it's i mean you're having i mean they have it right here in the book i mean spirit guides trances these are things that they believe the new age has counterfeited has taken from the church and they need to redeem it and i mean auras power objects clairvoyance clairaudience speaking to angels um and how how is there like a a proper biblical way. I mean, what's the point of Deuteronomy 18? Why would God forbid these things and then turn around and say, yes, but there's also a right way to do this. It's forbidden for a reason. And I think part of it is the power trip. Yeah. I I think that there's a lot of this that happens where, and this was my issue, my personal issue. And this is how I even got caught up in the new age to begin with is that there is a lust for the supernatural. There is an, an idolatry there of the supernatural. And when you don't have that, you think that the Holy spirit isn't with you. 
you think that you don't have the full capacity or the full uh, blessing of God or something like that. And I simply just think that people are gifted differently. Uh, like I said, I don't, I'm not a cessationist. I do believe that there are people that maybe are a little bit sensitive, if you will, for lack of a better word, I was not. And this was a frustration for me because my mom, uh, who is very clearly a new ager, (laughs) but calls herself a Christian believes that she is a Christian, uh, which is something very, you'll find a lot of that within the new age, new thought circle is uh, I, I was very frustrated that and fascinated that she would have these spiritual experiences. I mean, she, I remember her one time saying that uh, Jesus himself came to her in a trance one time. I remember she would see auras. She would see, uh, she had this this spirit thing. She called it her visitor, but it was this, uh, She maybe it was she, maybe thought of it as like her spirit guide. It's like she had all this stuff happen to her since she was a kid. And she believed that the Bible didn't have those answers. So of course you have all these other spiritual teachers out there that have had the same experiences. Well, let's go to them and see what they have to say. And they ended up being, you know, other new thought, new age teachers, but there's this, this power that you can find within the new age that some people don't think that God would deliver on just through the Bible. And for me, I thought things like that were perfectly fine. You know, I I thought it was something that as a human being, that was like our birthright, that we were supposed to have this power. And no matter what I did, no matter how hard I tried, I just, I couldn't awaken the power. (laughs) Does that make sense? Yeah. One important distinction that I've thought about is the issue of power versus authority. Um, When we see in Jesus in Matthew 28, he says, Mm -hmm. all authority has been given to him under heaven and, Mm -hmm. and that all authority is his. And we see in Luke nine and Luke 10 and in Matthew nine, I believe that he deputizes his followers with power and authority. And so part of my thought about the great commission in Matthew 28 is what Jesus is saying there is, because I have all authority, now you go into all the earth. And he was deputizing them to go in power and authority. But I think that what the enemy does is because the enemy doesn't have any authority. He doesn't have legitimate authority. He can pose as authority, but, but there is power there. And so the, the enemy can engage in power acts and some counterfeit power acts. Um, but he doesn't have authority. And that's kind of what makes Christians different than, than witches because witches don't operate in authority, but they, but they can operate in power. And as Christians, what we're, what we're showing according to the book of Colossians is that we're showing that, that Jesus has both power and authority over Mm -hmm. all demons, all, all powers of demons and, and, and everything. And so, but I think that the allure of power can, can be very strong for some people. Mm-hmm. And that has been my experience too, is that there are just some people in the world that for whatever reason, they have this more sensitive nature to the spirit realm. I don't necessarily have that mm-hmm. um, to that degree, but I've known people that do. And, and these things start happen to, happening to them when they're children. Mm-hmm. And I think one that thing i mom. Yeah. I think one thing I've wondered about is, 
because so many churches don't talk about these things, mm-hmm. does that ever create a vulnerability with the children that do have these sensitivities that they don't know how to think about it? Like nobody's ever helped disciple them mm-hmm. on how to think about their identity in Christ and how to walk in power and authority appropriately. And so then they get kind of, they can drift off in the new age because at least those people are having the conversation. Yes. And I think that uh, a lot of people demonize everything. They think that if they did have something from God, like if, if you had a vision, let's say, and it's incredibly rare, you know, that this would ever happen and say it was from God there would be some people out there that would attribute that to the, to the demonic when say it wasn't because they've never really been, they don't have that kind of, they, they can't welcome that. They can't, yeah. their mindset of cessationism or whatever it is uh, can't handle something like that. You know? So I think that that's part of it too. I think there's an issue of demonizing everything. I think yeah. there's a pendulum there. And, you know, for, for my mom there, you're right. There was no answers in church. <laughs> So where, who does have those answers, who does talk about these things, but within the confines of scripture, you can't, you can't argue for the fact that there's a biblical way to contact the dead. Right. In that sense. So, um, I think that there's bound, I think there's boundaries. I think there's balance. That kind of brings me to one of my concerns about Bethel is that the people that I've interacted with, uh, who are in the the neo-charismatic stream Mm -hmm. is that. I have yet to find one. I'm not saying go on the whole planet. I haven't talked to everybody. I haven't made an exhaustively complete survey of everybody. But the the ones that I've interacted with and, and watched on YouTube, they don't seem to talk very much about testing the spirits. They seem to have this operational assumption that all of their interactions with the spirit realm are going to be through the Holy Spirit. Yes. And they will always quote for me, Luke eleven thirteen, mm-hmm. that, you know, if you ask the father, you know, for, for the Holy Spirit, you know, he yes. won't give you a snake or a scorpion. They all quote this verse all the time to me. Mm-hmm. And I, I completely believe that. But at the same time, I also have learned that when we open ourselves up to the spirit realm, um, Yes, the Holy Spirit can can communicate with us. He can lead us. He can give us words of knowledge. I think those are things are real. But it can also lead us down a path of being open to demonic spirits and deception and even demons that can kind of pose as the Holy Spirit. And it can really conf- be confusing to people. And mm-hmm. they, then they don't know who, what kinds of spirits that they're interacting with. Yeah. What they'll say, and this is the, the mindset is that if you are a Christian and you believe in the power of Jesus to protect you, no other spirit could possibly overcome that. So as long as you are walking in the spirit, as long as you are a Christian, there's no way, um, that you could be deceived in that sense. And what I kind of think of it as is, and I'm, I'm reading this and I'm listening and I'm like, okay, well, hold on. I can also by choice go ahead and participate in sinful things 
And the spirit won't protect me from that. I mean, that's my choice. So it's kind of like praying and saying, God, please protect me from uh, like you're praying before you go and participate in adultery, for example. Mm -hmm. God, please uh, protect me while I'm participating in this Ouija board. Or while I watch porn. Or while I watch porn. Yeah. Yeah, It's like it's a it's a sin (laughs) for a reason. Yeah. There is a reason why he warns over and over again about not meddling with spiritual things and it's because the 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 deception is so real so god please protect me from deception before i go to this psychic you know it's like god please protect me from deception because you're not going to hand me a serpent i'm asking for this but you won't you won't give me a serpent so it's like the, it's almost like it's 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 a weird blame of god if you do get deceived which i think is a cop out because if you're you're willingly participating in and knowingly participating in a new age occultic practice and you think you can't get another spirit because you're born again because you're saved that is completely erroneous and that's i think a part of it is that that's how this happens uh, there's a different spirit and first corinthians i believe it is warns about this he's like paul gave the corinthians a tongue lashing for this he called them brothers and sisters but he also said, you are operating under a different spirit. And I think that that is very telling and important is that it, you can't quote a scripture like that before you go and, and participate in an occultic practice. Yes, God won't give you a, a, a serpent if you ask for a fish, but you're also putting yourself in positions willingly and knowingly where you can be deceived. And this is where I think that uh, churches like Bethel go wrong. And I think this is where a lot of people that trust the leadership at Bethel don't realize a, even what the new age is B how it is seen in scripture and why it is, uh, uh, forbidden. (laughs) There's reasons why. And I think a lot of it has to do with the deception behind it. And you can get a different spirit. Like you can have this spiritual pool, um, going on there. And also, and this is huge. This is one of the biggest things for me. Why in the world would you read the Bible and study scripture when you can just rely on your experience and what you believe you're actually hearing directly from God? Why would the Bible even play a part in your life if you can just go on a trance and go up to heaven and see God for yourself and and speak to him directly? And then you look at that dusty book on your shelf and you think, you yeah, know, I'm not going to put God in a box. I'm going to go and, and I'm going to base and rely on experience. So for me, it comes down to Bible versus experience specifically in this aspect and, and, and what's going on with Bethel. I a hundred percent absolutely believe that God can speak, um, does speak when you're praying about a certain situation. Uh, should I marry this person? <laughs> You can't just simply open scripture and see a yes or a no. There is an element of relational direction from God that we get that isn't as black and white, but there is a lens through scripture. What should a marriage look like? What does a godly person look like? You know, and and I think a lot of times people equate God's will with our feelings. Yeah. And there's been a lot of really bad (laughs) life decisions that have been made. Uh, when that's reliant on, I, and I, I actually, where did I write this? I wrote this in a book I was just reading, but I call it the, the cycle of madness. 
yeah. where, and I, I'm hoping that I remember this correctly, but uh, it's where, uh, so say you have a problem, like an issue and uh, you need, you need guidance, spiritual guidance for it. And then you, you think you hear from God, you think you hear an answer and then you go through with what you think you heard from God. And then it turns out, oh, wow, that, that wasn't from God. Right. And the decision that you made, the, the, the pattern, the uh, domino effect of decisions that were made based on that one uh, belief that you thought you heard from God really wasn't from God. It was from you. Right. It was from uh, something that you wanted or willed, uh, whether it's something as big as should I marry this person? Right. Should I buy this house? Whatever it is. And it really wasn't. It's just that you felt really, really in love and you were Twitter pated. And why would God give you these feelings if it wasn't meant to be? And so you go along with it. And then in hindsight, you were like, oh, dang, that was a mistake. Yeah. And I didn't really hear from God. So I, I call that the cycle of madness because it brings you back to the, the beginning pinpoint of you still have the same problem. I, I always tell people that, you know, there's three possibilities when you, you, you're, you think you hear a voice. Um, one is it could be the enemy. One is it could be the Holy Spirit. One is it could be yourself. Yes. And, and learning how to differentiate between those three voices is an, a very important skill. But again, this is something that I think that a lot of churches don't talk about. Um, it's, yeah. you know, in how do we get people out of that cycle of madness and really teach and train and disciple them to, because I, I think James 1 is, is true that we can, if we lack wisdom, we can ask of God and we should expect to hear from him. But we have to teach and train people how to discern God's voice. I don't think that the solution for the excesses on Bethel's side is to become a reform cessationist. <laughs> I, I, I think that there, there, I would much prefer a path of testing according to 1 Thessalonians 5 or 1 John chapter 4, where we're not despising the things of the Holy Spirit. We're not saying the Holy Spirit doesn't communicate anymore, but rather we're training and discipling people on how to discern and really hear the Lord's voice. Um, so that's kind of one thing. But uh, but another thing you said is, you know, I, I, I want to make it clear, and I think you're, you're doing this, and I just want to restate this for anyone who's from Bethel who may be watching, is that, you know, I, I think that both of us would say that that some experiences in the supernatural and the spiritual realm are, are, um, you know, absolutely from the Lord. You know, I think mm -hmm. that standing in our power and authority in Christ, you know, like Dr. Neil Anderson talks about, or Dr. Carl Payne talks about of, of casting out of demons, like that's real. And, and, you know, we need more conversations about, about how to do that in a biblically appropriate and orderly way. Mm -hmm. Um, we need to have more conversations about healing that are more biblically oriented and not just saying, well, healing is what crazy word faith people do, or, you know, that's just a Bethel excess. Like, okay, I, I, I can look at the excesses, but could we have kind of a more biblically structured conversation about healing more than just, well, it's the sovereignty of God and that's it. Like, could, could, could we do a little bit deeper dive into that? And yeah. I think that that's where I have benefited from my conversations with Bethel people because they're willing to have those conversations and they have some some biblical ideas that are legitimate. And yet there are some things that are kind of mixed in 
with these new thought practices. But I think what you're really getting at there is the emotional impacts that sometimes this has on people. Also, uh, I would like to differentiate between people at Bethel and their leadership. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good distinction. Yeah. Yeah, So um, I have a friend who does this too. He's like, there's a difference between the Catholics and Catholicism. Yeah. Sometimes where, yeah, yeah, like they're, they don't necessarily agree with the leadership and I'm finding that to be more and more where there's people at Bethel that are like, what's going on? (laughs) You know, like they're, they're charismatic. They believe in the power of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but they're, they're looking at what's going on and they know it's off the rails, like something's wrong. And, but they still go to Bethel, you know, and things like that. So I think there's a difference. So my, my bone to pick personally, honestly, is, is not the people at Bethel. It's the leadership. And this um, idea wrong, of kind man. of, the, I would go, yeah. And this idea of like the over-realized eschatology yes. of like, all healing now, all raising yeah. the dead now, and and all of that, that that, that is really um, kind of a, a core concern. Yes. And I think I think when you have an an undying love for them as well, like I'd go out and I'd have coffee with Bill Johnson right now and look at him as a human being made in the image of God. And there's, there's something different whenever you look at somebody that you can fiercely disagree with, but also look at them as a fellow imager of God. And I think that that's important Mm -hmm. that I I think that, uh, what does, uh, the progressive community say love is God to them, but God is, what is it? God is love, not love is God. Mm. Where in other words, you can have a, a, uh, disagreement with somebody in a very loving fashion. So I, I just think that's important to kind of, to kind of say that I, I don't agree with what's going on at Bethel and the leadership. Uh, but I have no ill will or hate, but I don't have a problem calling this stuff out. I'm, I'm not aggressive about it, but as somebody who used to come from the new age, as somebody whose whole ministry is based on finding new age in the church, (laughs) And saying, hey, guys, this is how this happens. We need to stay away from this because I fell for this. And then you have a mainstream American church that is welcoming these teachings. Okay, red flag, alarm bells are going off. Yeah. I mean, it's this is not good. And the way that they're trying to, to bring in the kingdom is through these new age practices. And uh, if, if people have a maybe they're not understanding exactly what I mean by that or what we're saying with it is. Yeah. uh, Let's unpack that a little bit more because I think that it's really important that people understand what specifically it is that, that we're talking about here. The entire movement that we're seeing from Bethel. And just in case people aren't understanding what we mean by eschatology, the end times stuff, like when Jesus returns, how do you, how is Jesus going to return? This has a lot to do with that. Um, it has to do with that. How are how is Jesus going to return to earth? Because he can't return to earth. And Bill Johnson's book, When Heaven Invades Earth, is all about this. And to them, they have what's called the Seven Mountain Mandate. And I, I can't remember a lot, all of them off the top of my head, but there's entertainment, there's media, there's education, there's churches, uh, the family, there's every aspect of humanity that we have. Once they take each one over, and I want people to keep in mind their music, 
um, and how uh, they are very aggressive about taking what's at Bethel and popping it into other churches. Mm-hmm. They, they, they send people out on purpose for this because this needs to happen in the church. They, we need to, uh, it's their revival. This is what they would consider revival um, through signs, wonders, and miracles in a very extreme sense. And this means that healings should 100% be done all the time, every time, uh, raising people from the dead, literally heaven on earth, done through signs, wonders, and miracles. This is what they would call revival. And so there is a frustration, I think, again, with they're not seeing that. They're not seeing that. So, And there has been instances where people are told even if it doesn't happen, believe that it actually has happened. Because if it's existing up here, it sounds like manifesting. Uh, if it exists in your mind, it it will come to pass. It will it will manifest into the physical world. It will. Do become... you see how they word that differently, though? Yeah, it's like it's the same thing. And you're told because and what you're talking about with authority, and this is where my bone to pick is, is that I'm big about defining terms because what some people would consider authority in the biblical sense is true, but to, to them, you are literally allowed to have the power and authority of Jesus in a literal sense, meaning you have divinity. Yes. And this is, um, this is where I probably would say this is the whole concept behind the word of faith movement. Um, to name names, honestly, Kenneth Copeland, he's very open about this, Creflo Dollar. Uh, the word of faith movement in general is based on that core idea that you can do healings and raise people from the dead and do more things than even Jesus did because you are divine. You're a little God. And this is also a teaching that is streamlined through Bethel. Yeah. And there, there is some truth. And this is what makes it so confusing is that Christians can pray to cast out demons. They can pray for healing the sick. They can, um, I mean, there's a regular practice in other places in the world. These things happen. Mm-hmm. People do raise from the dead. Yeah. And and so it, we're not negating those things, but in my experience, it comes as part and parcel with the gospel going out. It's to mm-hmm. show the power of Christ to people where there's competing gods and competing religions. It's Mm -hmm. to show power and authority over that. But what happens in the word of faith and then the Bethel stream is that it's more like it's, it's more like this display of power as an end of itself. And I, I still struggle to know how to put it into words, but it's almost like it, it kind of turns the Holy spirit into parlor tricks. Like, yeah, like no, you're look right. what I can do. Good way of putting it. <laughs> and yeah, you're the Holy Spirit. Uh, have you ever seen American Gospel? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So there's a there's a clip there of Benny Johnson, uh, and it's an older clip, but there there is no. Uh, this is something that is taught throughout, in the sense of the Holy Spirit, kind of like being like a genie, right. where it's about a lot of it is how you can get not in just what you want. And I don't want to broad brush it in an umbrella statement and make it sound like everybody at Bethel is like that, but this is actually the leadership there that this is the essence of what they're teaching. 
And I, I'm, I'm, I, I'd be hard pressed of anybody to say that. Why is that? How is that not an issue? And, and so it's like what you're saying, Krista, there's, there's a balance there. So a hundred percent, what you just said, yes. Like there, there's a display of power because of the gospel. Right. Um, so in the, in book of Acts, we see this because there's a lot of false gods and false idols. Other places in the world are very different than here in America. And there's a display of power for a sovereign reason. And yeah. this is where I think a balance of sovereignty goes with the authority. Right. Because really what it comes down to is there, and Bill Johnson has said this himself, that he cannot accept the gospel that doesn't involve hundred percent healing all the time. So if there is an aspect, an element where you don't get your healing or you're trying to heal others, it's better to fake it <laughs> that you've gotten your healing uh, and, and act like you have your healing up here. You have to live that out. Um, because so then, then it will come out in the world. It, it, it eventually you will get that healing. It will become real for you. It, yes. And so here's, that's the other thing is that they, the heaven meets earth again, back yes. to the eschatology. This all comes down to this is that because Jesus can't come back until we make this heaven and there is no sickness, poverty, death illness there is none of that in heaven so for jesus to come back to earth um we need to make this heaven through signs wonders and miracles constantly healing raising from the dead it is it is a form of post-millennial eschatology yeah it's just different than the reformed version of post-millennial eschatology but there are some overlap of trying to bring the culture under submission under the authority of Christ. It's just that the Bethel version of this post-millennialism adds the signs and wonders, you know, to the extreme, to the and extreme. So what you, yeah. What do you do? Yeah. And, and this is, I think their issue. And I think this is their frustration. And this is why I think we're seeing books like physics of heaven being written and um, so many others. There's so many others. Uh, but what do you do when you don't see those results? Mm-hmm. What do you do whenever you are, praying in tongues for 12 hours over somebody to heal them and nothing happens. Yeah. Like what, what do you do whenever you're trying to raise somebody from the dead and you don't get that? Uh, it's not God's sovereignty because to them that God will, will, would never will that God right. would never want somebody to remain sick. So what gives, you know, what's the problem? Well, then it must be you. It must be your faith, your lack of faith. And that's it. That's the circle that we find ourselves in. And, and the so, emotional impacts of that, though, and that's what yeah. I really want us to, to land on here is what I've seen is the emotional impacts of this. Well, when things don't get manifest, you know, because it one of the effects that it has is it causes people to be so hyper vigilant in their wording of like, oh, I, can't, I don't want to make yes. any declaration of illness. So I can't say things like, oh, I think I'm getting a cold or um, I, my stomach hurts. I hope I'm not getting the flu. Well, then I might get manifested into sickness and it, yes. it creates like this hypervigilance or if, on the other side, if somebody prayed for me for healing, it's like, well, I know I'm just going to keep declaring my healing and I'm yes. going to keep declaring it. But the long-term emotional impact that that has on people 
I've seen people that get involved in this stream and they just get in this pursuit of never ending supernatural experiences because they're trying to get something to come into their life and the healing or the freedom. And they're just kind of bootstrapping their way to Christian maturity through experiences. It's very damaging. Yeah. And that's really what it is, is that we talked a little bit before uh, about the religious emotionalism we're finding America in right now. Um, I think that there's a a high neglect of Bible reading and Bible scripture uh, study. And I think it's because there's this uh, culture of emotionalism and experience. And if you can have that, why, I mean, and the, the thing that I've been quoted, what people tell me is don't put God in a box where God can, can do things that even go beyond what he commands in scripture. And I would argue with that and say, okay, well, if you were to read the Bible 10 times over and like really study it, you know what I mean? Just be in it and not just cherry pick certain aspects of it, but wrestle with it. Uh, on on both aspects. And this isn't just for charismatics. This is for cessationists too. These are for people that don't believe in gifts at all anymore, that God maybe doesn't heal or whatever the case may be. Scripture is always going to be a place where you're going to have to wrestle with both of these things. Right. Uh, because the, the Corinthians were still brothers. You know, they still uh, acted in, in spiritual gifts. Uh, there was just a misuse of them. There was an abuse of them. And Paul had to correct them more than once. And so I think that that's important to mention, but I think that people rely too much on experience and and their emotions and their feelings. And they think that that's God when it's really not. And there is no filter or balance of scripture for them at all. They don't, they, there is no hermeneutic. There is no, uh, exegetical way that they have been taught how to read scripture. Yeah. It's a book that's, that holds our theology, holds our Christian doctrine. And um, as long as they agree on the essentials, they think everything's hunky-dory, but I'm over here thinking, okay, you can't channel <laughs> spirits. Yeah. I mean, if, if, if you had this understanding, this firm understanding of scripture on that basic level, there would be this, this more of this filter, this lens where you could understand your experience through, or even your feelings. And, and cause I think people do idolize maybe their, their feelings and experience that's their, that's their idol. Yeah. And yeah. So I think that that's kind of something that people would have to wrestle with. Well, the whole God, I don't put God in a box argument. I guess the way I look at that is that, yeah, but to some extent, God has put himself in a box that's called scripture. He's put and, us in a box. Yes. Yeah. You're right. Because he's, <laughs> he's chosen to reveal himself a certain way. Yes. And, and so that is the way that I must understand and study him. Now, there are biblical precedents for su- some supernatural things. Absolutely. There's biblical precedents. And sometimes God does use a massive supernatural inter- interruption to push our growth forward 100 feet. I mean, sometimes people get healed from cancer. Sometimes people get radically saved. They get totally free from drugs. You know, like supernatural things do happen, mm-hmm. but then there is the, the 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 norm 
is what I call the grind. It's the daily Christian walk to kill your flesh, to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, to become more conformed to the image of Christ. That's like the super non-sexy part of the Christian <laughs> life, you know? And yeah. the, the sexy part is looking for all these miracles in the supernatural, and those things do happen sometimes. But yeah. the pa- pattern is more often than not is the grind of mm-hmm. how do I do things and how do I mortify my flesh and 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 become more conformed to the image of Christ? And that comes through, you know, a lot of intentionality and Bible study and prayer and these very boring things that oh my word that we've been doing what it reminds me of is marriage. Yes. Yes. It reminds me of like, okay, remember the beginnings of like a relationship where it's oh man, it's 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 a rush of yeah. feelings. Just yeah. You feel like you're in a fairy tale. You're you're Twitter pated. You're absolutely just out of your mind on cloud nine in love, whatever the case may be. And I think I would hope that at least one time in our lives, we've all experienced that at least once. That goes away. Yeah, <laughs> that's the beginning of the relationship. And as time goes on, you're like, oh dang, this actually takes work. Yeah, this take that's the boring stuff. Like yeah. that's the that's the marriage counseling. That's the, oh man, we had kids and yeah. everything is just it's so different. unrealistic yeah. and it's not a fairy tale anymore. And I feel like, I feel like that's a lot of what we would see and what we find in this emotionalism strain of Christianity, where if you don't feel God, if you don't feel some sort of wrecking of the Holy spirit every day throughout the day or whatever it is, then you're not right with God or you don't feel close to him when it really doesn't have anything to do with feelings at all. It has to do with truth and it has to do with what is true, whether you feel it or not. If Jesus never gave you one single miracle, if he never gave you one single vision, would he be enough? Like it really just comes down to that. If if you never felt Twitter pated again with your husband, would you still choose to love? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think that the scripture does have a precedent for some things like words of knowledge, like visions mm-hmm. and dreams, um, that that is part of having the Holy Spirit live in you. And for some people, they have a lot of them. Some people, you know, I've talked to like they they've had some a dream and a pivotal moment in their life and they only ever had it one time. Some mm-hmm. people have never experienced that. And, and God does different things for different people. But there's a biblical precedent for what God allows his people to engage in, in the supernatural. That's the issue. But then when we get kind of off the map and we're, Mm -hmm. and we're away from the parameters that have been set. Yeah, exactly. And then we're doing things, um, you know, that are like, well, you know, I'm not so sure we should, should be doing that, you know? And um, just to give one example, and then we'll wrap here is, is, you know, this idea of you mentioned at the top about astral projection, mm-hmm. you know, well, there is some biblical idea of what neo-charismatics call traveling in the spirit. I mean, we see the Philip, the evangelist, this happens to him in Acts chapter eight, where God plucks him from one location and then takes him a couple hundred miles away instantaneously so that he can share the gospel with somebody. But what's different to me about that is it it's a hundred percent God. It's a hundred percent what God makes happen. We, the person, Philip the evangelist doesn't 
go through some trance to travel in the spirit, if you will. He doesn't make that happen through power and authority. He's just walking down the street one day and God says, hey, Philip, you're going to go here. And he finds himself talking to the Ethiopian eunuch. That's all God. And, and I've met a couple is, of people that that's happened to them. It's interesting too, because it's for the gospel. Exactly. It was for the spreading of the gospel. It wasn't for some sort of, okay, I, I feel, you know, God, I want to feel, I, I want to hang out with you tonight, God. Yeah. Or I'm going to so, like pop down and see what the lunch menu is down at the, at the cafeteria while I'm at work. I mean, that's not how that works. Okay. <laughs> so, I mean, you, you may think you can control and power and authority, you know, the spirit realm, but, but scripturally there's no precedent for doing it that way. Now, if I'm sleeping in my bed and God says, Hey, I want to take you here to pray for this person or share the gospel with this person in another country, that's his prerogative to do, but that has nothing to do with me conjuring up something to make it happen. And I have met a couple of people that that's happened to them where Mm -hmm. God took them to another part of the world to share the gospel with somebody. And in one of those cases, they actually ended up meeting that person years later. And the person who received the gospel recognized the person and was like, Hey, you came and you know, they were like in the Netherlands or something. It was like just in another country. So I can conceive of something like that happening. But I think the difference with this, with these types of practices that we're talking about is things where I think I have power and control and I can manipulate the spirit realm to get these results. Mm -hmm. That's not how that works. Biblically speaking. Mm -hmm. Um, and so for me, that's where the point of departure comes of like, hey, we're in another spirit now. We're mm-hmm. not operating according to the Holy Spirit. I don't know, maybe get you to respond to that and then we'll wrap a little bit. If we have oh, yeah, no, I, I agree. I think, uh, you know, for me, it's, uh, I've always kind of been, you know, as an apologist, it's something where it's just, um, I call it slow to warm, I observe. Uh, and so for anything that anybody claims more or less, it's a gathering of information to really see if it's biblical or not. Mm -hmm. So like, for example, uh, with Philip, you know, you were talking about Philip, if, if God were to transport us, uh, project us wherever, you know, we need to go, or, uh, I can't remember who this is, but they believe that you can go through the glory realms of heaven, you know, and get to the seventh heaven, you know, in the glory realm. And it's just like, okay, where is this coming from though? Right. You know, like, is this something that it, it's, it, if, if scripture is not your foundation, like if, if you're differentiating what you're doing and not having it somehow grounded in scripture, because that only happened once. Exactly. And 2000 years ago right. during probably the most potent Holy spirit time ever. And you're trying to mimic that today without taking in the fact that this is really God's choice, I think that we're going to find ourselves almost in a weird illusionary realm of where we can over-spiritualize things that haven't really happened. And we're just kind of, we're deceiving ourselves. So Mm -hmm. I I think if scripture is your basis, yeah, should be the first priority. Yeah. And we can't be talking to the dead or... (laughs) 
you know, in the name of Jesus. We can't be doing that. We can't be doing astrology in the name of Jesus, tarot cards. Those are things that are explicitly condemned in scripture. But it, but if so, it, just because it's done in the name of Jesus. Exactly. I think it's important the way you said that, Krista, yeah. is that I think that if you're, if, if, if your father's trying to hand you a fish, but you think that the serpent looks more alluring, you cannot blame God yeah. for your deception, your willful deception of what he has already outlined in scripture, put a parameter around. Yeah. And because scripture isn't looked at as something as on par with your experience, that's really on you. And there's a judgment for that. You know, yeah. there, there's, there's consequences for that in, in this life and the next. And I think that that's, I, I don't think that we have the excuse of, of neglect for scripture, especially when it's so simply outlined. I totally agree. And I, I'm always trying to instruct people in that way of like, Hey, you know, scripture gives us some, some parameters and yeah. that's not to say the supernatural things don't happen, but we have to look for some type of pattern, some sort of warrant. It's not a free fall. Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, thank you, Melissa, for doing this with me. It's been a fun conversation and, and just kind of being in the freestyle with me about these issues. Tell our people how they can get connected with you. Um, sure. Yeah, I have a YouTube channel. You can find you just my dog is ridiculous. Sorry. <laughs> you can hear him barking, I'm sure. Uh, I have a YouTube channel. Uh, you can look up my name there. I'm also on Instagram and I have a Facebook page. Um, I try to be pretty good about checking my email. Uh, it's, I'm not the best of it at it lately. I do have my kids home, uh, during this, this time. So it's, I, I get to it eventually when I can. And also some further resources. I also think that people would benefit a lot from, uh, Stephen Bancars. If, if people haven't heard of him, please go check out his stuff. He's somebody that has talked a lot about this. He was caught up in the hyper charismatic scene uh, he is charismatic. He has a lot of really good advice for people that want to know more about this. That, And I think that he's a lot smarter than me about this stuff. So check out his stuff as far as another further resource to check out. Very good. Well, thanks for doing this with me. And I'm glad we were able to work it out. And I just want to encourage everybody, you know, to to think about as you're interacting with people who are of a more charismatic bent, if you're not, you know, maybe there's something for you to learn from them. And if you're charismatic and, you know, you're, you're concerned about your cessationist friends, maybe there's something for you to learn from them, too. And, you know, as we walk together in both spirit and truth, um, be solidly grounded in Scripture and look to Jesus in all things, because he is our standard for everything. Thank you so much for watching. Good night and God bless. Be sure to follow Theology Mom on Facebook and like, comment, and subscribe on YouTube. Don't forget to catch Krista next week for more theology fun on Theology Mom and all the things. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.